Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. And in this case, it's actually Purple Access. It's Judd, as always. It's Declan, as always. And then we rotate Chip Scoggin, Star Tribune Sports columnist, with our guy who joins us today, Tyler Fornis. Uh, you, you can hear him with Declan on Purple Daily on Draft on Mondays. And, of course, you can find his work at VikingsWire.com, which I, I also write columns for. And if you have not discovered it, VikingsWire.com is just a fantastic place for um, plenty of of uh, thoughtful pieces on the team. Your one-stop shopping for a team that certainly has a lot going on. And, Tyler, let's start with that. One and four going into Chicago. Um, and it's a stretch that's tough because, you know, Kansas City was tough. They lost that, that game. It was a close game, but they still lost. Uh, they have the Bears, who are struggling but have started actually to put up some points in the past two weeks. Then San Francisco in a Monday night game here, and then at Green Bay. So in the big picture of things, at 1-4, and four, trade deadline coming up um, October 31st and Justin Jefferson sideline. Now give me your take on where things stand for a team that is keeping games close, but certainly has been a disappointment and continues to have problems hanging on to the football. I think the one thing that really intrigues me with the absence of Justin Jefferson is how defenses are going to play us. They're not going to rotate coverage over to help cover Jefferson because there's no threat even close to the level of Jefferson right now on this team. I think Jordan Addison has the potential to get close Hawkinson. He's a mismatch style tight end, but if you put like a top corner on him, that's a strategy where you can actually take him out of the picture. So how are defenses going to play? Are they going to do the basic shell coverage and make Kirk cousins methodically beat you down the field by like a thousand cuts, which was the whole idea of the Fangio style defense that was run last year. We just ran it very poorly. And a lot of that had to do with Ed Donatel. We talked about that ad nauseum. So that's not a secret to the listeners. But how are they going to play coverage? Are Is Jordan Addison going to be successful with that coverage, not having Justin Jefferson on the opposite side? Because we have to remember, he's five games into his career. So struggles right now, like it's frustrating, but 
it's also not that big of a deal if he ends up struggling in this game because he's a learning. He's a rookie. He needs to add some NFL muscle because he came into the league at 173 pounds. And you've seen some instances where he struggles against press coverage. So I want to see how they're going to adapt those coverages, how the Vikings adjust, because at the end of that Kansas City game, what did they do? They threw a lot of like five and seven yard routes. And that's not really conducive to attacking down the field. And those routes were like in the middle of the field. They're running like stick and levels concepts. Like you have to attack down the field and on the outside to be able to move the ball down the field. With no timeouts. And the Vikings just did not have the play calling to match that. So I want to see how everything's going to evolve. Is Kevin O'Connell going to still have his bag of tricks or is he going to have to run a much more vanilla concept offense because he doesn't have the receivers to really utilize what he wants to do. Jordan Addison having problems against press coverage potentially is something that we've talked about because of his size since the day he was drafted. So mm-hmm. that's no surprise. He is, I don't think he's weak, but you know, in this league, it's a man's league and those corners are there to interrupt your ability to start your route. But where I will say I am encouraged is this when you watch him play, when you watch him run his routes, I think when you watch him, um, catch the football in stride there, you know, his ability to get off press coverage and his ability to block definitely there, there are other things that need to improve, but he looks the part. And I, and I really think that the next step now too is making him into with Justin out a playmaker and not, you know, he can go deep. He can actually let, this is the point in time to, I think it's a golden opportunity if Jefferson was ever going to get hurt, it, it you know it comes in a season in which the Vikings are obviously struggling. But I think this is a golden opportunity for you know, for the Vikings to find out what more they can get from Jordan because I have not seen a thing that says that this kid might be a bust or was a bad pick. He looks like a very good, good pick, mm-hmm. and I sort of like the challenge uh, that he's going to face now. Because it's going to challenge him more, but I think in the long run, what he is going to uh, have to put up with with Justin Jefferson out is going to help him actually improve quicker. See, I think like none of us want the Vikings to lose, and I think I think we need to put that out there. The whole motif of this entire podcast network is we want the Vikings to win a Super Bowl before we die. We want them to win, but when you when you're analyzing this team and you talk about the future. Sometimes losing is better because it gets you in a position to get that potential franchise quarterback. And uh, along with losing comes opportunity for young players to get even more exposure. And I think the loss of Justin Jefferson is a net positive for the development of Jordan Addison in kind of the same ways you mentioned, Judd, he's going to get opportunities. He is going to be the de facto number one option into this offense right now, because Hawkinson is great, but he's not great in the same way as Travis Kelsey is. Uh, he even talked about it in a in a media session last week where he praised Kelsey and was like, yeah, we watch film at, with tight end you, but I can't always take what he says because he is like an artist out there and he'll free ball. And that sounded like something that Kevin O'Connell does not want them to do. He wants them to be relatively structured. And it's also different because he doesn't have that type of relationship on the field with like the Kirk cousins that Holmes has with Kelsey. And that that's just a special relationship. So that's, that's not a fault of anybody. It's just, he, there's not that kind of magic. So 
Addison's your number one guy. How's he going to react? How's he going to be, be able to play in that situation this early in his career? And I'll be honest, it might be better if he stinks right off the bat because you learn from failure and you can go back on the tape and figure out what worked, what didn't, and how you can be better moving forward. Being great right away in this role will be awesome. But I think seeing some struggles early on could be more beneficial for him. And this Bears defense are getting back likely Kyler Gordon from that uh, hand injury. They have Tyreek Stevenson, who's a brutal press man corner. And I really liked him coming out of the draft this past year. But opportunities arise from struggles. And a one in four record and no Justin Jefferson. This is that opportunity. Oh, no. how, how difficult, too, is this balance of Hawkinson, who's had some drops and honestly, maybe a little bit of a disappointing season. Obviously, you still have to feed him. But at one po- at what point are there maybe repercussions if these drops or even, of course, the fumbles keep happening? I mean, Kevin O'Connell talked about they bought all these tools and they're trying to hold people accountable. But what happens if these like drops and fumbles keep uh, uh, keep popping up for Hawkinson? Do you just keep feeding him the ball? Is there a time where you have to reprimand him and put him on the bench? Like, what if this becomes a thing with TJ Hawkinson and how do the Vikings maybe handle it if it does? So the interesting part about the Hawkinson debate is obviously he had the the three quasi drops and I'm not going to officially call them drops. They were difficult catches. They were ones that you expect Hawkinson to be able to bring in more often than not because he's the special player and you gave him a lot of money. That's why you give him a lot of money. You expect him to make those tough catches. He just had a rough game in trying to make those tough catches against Kansas city. I wouldn't classify any of them as actual drops because they're he's extending out to the ball. It's all contested and they're tough. They're difficult. Um, but the rest of his game, I don't think he's had a down season. He's been an excellent blocker. He's still making important catches. They're still trusting him on fourth down with those choice routes. And there's a reason why they have been that successful on fourth down because he's able to win quickly off the line of scrimmage and you go five yards. And then based on the leverage of the defender, you decide how you're going to attack. And he and Kirk cousins have great chemistry with that. So I think with Hawkinson, if he is dropping balls that are thrown like right at him, hit him in the hands, like square in the chest. I think that's an issue. But right now I think you just have to count the Kansas city chiefs game as a little bit of anomaly. But if it happens again, where he's missing multiple of those in a game, then I think we have to have a different conversation. I want to see a trend before I really come down hard on Hawkinson because the rest of his game has been really good. And I think the all 22 bears that out. Sometimes when you see multiple negative plays in a row from a a player, they're high profile plays. So that's going to immediately seep into your brain is, Hey, this guy's not playing very well. When in reality, the plays that don't necessarily get seen unless you're really diving deep into the tape are what's propelling him to having as good of a season as he has. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolged. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom. And it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. I think the frustrating thing with TJ in particular is is this, and this also extends uh, back to the Chargers game when there's the play where he doesn't catch the pass. Look, that's another tough catch. Uh, but I think the frustration is um, he skipped all of team drills 
as we know, because he was supposedly hurt, but his contract hadn't got done yet. And it's just been clear that the timing with Kirk on, on those very close passes has not been great. And it's hard not to say, you know, there's a reason why you practice red zone in training camp every single day, because those are tough. That's a tough area to operate. So the thing about the Chiefs game, though, in particular, and and because Kirk is such a polarizing guy, it's like all blame or no blame, was the timing with Kirk in that game was just off period. TJ Hawkinson, mm-hmm. KJ Osborne. I, I still go back to the play that KJ was in the back of the end zone and ducked down on that sort of weird looking pass by Kirk, which was not all on Kirk and it probably was not all on KJ. That wasn't an odd game. But Forno, when it comes to where this team is at, too, and look, they could come back like 2020 and win three or four consecutive games. We don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to, but they could. But if we continue on the same path, and let's say they beat Chicago, which I think they can do, clearly. Um, they lose to San Francisco. They go to Green Bay. That's a sort of a toss-up. But let's say they lose that game. Who do you want to see play more? Like, if if we get to a point where it's time to start to not – throw in the towel, but, you know, just get a better look at guys. And I'm talking from Lewis Seen to guys in this draft class, potentially, that aren't playing a ton. Who do you think would benefit? Who do you think would be good to get more of their work on film if the season continues to trend to one where it's going to be a disappointment? I think you just got to load up all the young guys in defense and just deal with the lumps. If you really end up two and six at the trade deadline, there's a decent chance that you see guys who you know won't be here next year you move on from because that's not an admission of tanking. It's just understanding and selling. It's We've had the conversation before, Judd. It's baseball. Baseball at the trade deadline. You don't trade cornerstone pieces. You trade assets that are on expiring contracts. Or like I, I still remember the Twins. Ryan Pres- Presley uh, got the save last night. They traded him, what, five, six years ago when he had one year left on his deal, but they got a decent haul back. So those are the kind of moves you make at the deadline. And I want to see all the young guys play. You have all these questions about Lewis Seen, Brian Asamoah, Andrew Booth Jr. A lot of frustration from the fan base that they just haven't produced. My theory on why they haven't produced is their aggressiveness has led to being undisciplined. And in an aggressive scheme, you need to be very disciplined because a mistake when you're being really aggressive can cost you touchdowns. And it can cost you touchdowns very, very quickly. So I would want those guys to play just a lot of snaps. And you know what? Sometimes with that kind of aggression and discipline, you need reps in order to kind of fix that kind of thing. Yes, film helps, but being able to apply it on the field makes a lot of difference. The other guy I'd want to see is Andre Carter. I I don't think he's ready to play. And he had a, a few pressures in the one game that he really played a lot. I think it was against the Panthers. But at the end of the day, Getting him on the field and getting him reps against NFL competition while he's still growing and developing, I think could really help and impact him, even though I don't think he'll impact the game very much, but he's a long-term project. And obviously with coming from army, you are essentially telling your body to F off by going both routes with how you're training. You're training to be a cadet, which is all endurance training. And then you're training to be a football player, which is all explosive drills and being able to do a lot of things in short bursts and not have a lot of like long endurance. It's like being a sprinter versus running cross country. They're two completely different things. So seeing him get those reps on the field. So then when he goes to the off season, he knows a little bit more about what's, what it's going to take and how he can continue to progress and grow forward. Maybe he can be a, a really good rotational piece in year two 
with another offseason, like an actual full offseason of an NFL strength and conditioning program. That's how I would approach it. Get young guys a lot of reps and see if they're any good or if you can trust them going into next year. If there's a loss of the Bears on Sunday, Forno, and obviously yeah, we'll, we'll break a lot of this down too on Purple Daily on draft, but do you think the selling conversation like just reaches a whole new level at that point if, if they go into Soldier Field and lose to a Bears team? Maybe it looks a little bit better in the last few weeks, but if that's the case, do you think these selling plans are just trending in the all arrow pointing towards sell direction? Theoretically, yes, but we don't know how Quasito Fomenza and ownership is going to handle this because there's only been one truly bad season under uh, uh, the Wilfs ownership, and that was 2013. And we all know that it was kind of like a house of cards. And Leslie Frazier, um, albeit a really good overall coach, was just not ready and not a good coach at that specific time. And that kind of just tanked. You obviously had the demise of Christian Ponder, and Matt Castle started most of that year. And then that ended up get, bringing in Mike Zimmer, and then they really righted the ship. And at very worst, they were capable to win every single game that they played in. And outside of the first year, the worst year that they had was seven and nine. Like that's what the Wills want. They want that kind of consistency. Will they be okay with selling off some of those assets that won't be here next year? I genuinely don't know. And I think Quasey is going to look at it from an analytical and mathematical standpoint. Okay. We're one in five. We're not making the playoffs this year. How can we improve our team long-term moving forward? And can we do so by selling off some assets that aren't coming back? I think he's going to say yes. Will ownership agree and support that decision? I think that's the biggest question here because of how they've always approached roster management and wanting to win football games. So in down seasons, uh, Spielman never really sold off. They traded in Gakwe in 2020, but but when things were spiraling in 2010, they did not really do much um 11 and four moss in that season yes because they thought because because sydney rice screwed them and then in 11 they didn't do much and the same thing so they have never dumped before but i will say what's interesting about this is i don't think you fire spielman and to a certain point more rick but to a certain point zimmer if you're not going to allow your philosophy to be changed so that that's where i'm curious about this because they, you know, it's interesting, but 2022 was clearly the Wills had their fingerprints on saying, we think this is still a pretty good team. Zimmer didn't do a good job. Like we fell apart. I felt like the team, not the players themselves, but the franchise was fractured. Mm-hmm. And O'Connell and Quazy came in, kept the status quo. And I think the Wills were sort of proven right. Like the team was like, yeah, resurgent. It was great. But the long play here, when you go to, to a GM with an analytical background and a coach who's a young coach, who, by the way, I think is in charge of trying to find your next quarterback, is to embrace this opportunity right now. So, like, if there, if if Quasi Adolfa Mensa and the current front office has the thumb put on them now of the Wilfs, it really makes no sense. So this, to me, is, is going to be one of the most interesting things for – an ownership group that bought this team in 2005, this is going to be the one of the most interesting things because if they were serious about making the changes that they made, then you are eventually going to allow this administration to see things through. And that does not mean hanging on to players who are inevitably probably going to walk in March. It means trying to at least trade a couple. They're not going to trade five guys, but you know, Mm -hmm. and they're probably not going to trade Kirk, but trying to at least find out and identify who you can trade and who's going to get you a nice haul back. 
I think the one guy who who really fits that motif, Judd, is Daniil Hunter. And I I really wonder, I, like, did the Vikings actually try to really lock him down long term? But because it was kind of described to us at the time that this was a band aid, and they've done a lot of band aids with Hunter, and it's not this administration's fault that Hunter kept being given band aids year over year. But that's kind of just how it's happened, and. They gave him one. They gave him a big raise this year. But do they actually want him long-term? Now, you can have that discussion whether you think he's worth it long-term. And there are diminishing returns when you have edge rushers on a third contract. And I I think when I wrote about a potential extension for Hunter, a third contract is probably going to net you less than $20 a year or at the very most $20. Von Miller got $20. Chandler Jones got $17, and he's got released for reasons completely outside of football but the performance was apropos of about 17 million dollars hunter i don't think is worth the miles garrett nick bosa contracts i i I think he's around a 20 million dollar a year guy and i don't know if they want to pay that so i'm very curious to see how they'll approach that and maybe trading hunter is the smartest play for your long-term success because at the very best you'd get a third round compensatory pick in 2025 what if somebody offers you a second round pick next year that's inherently better but are they willing to take that risk of him not coming back like there's so many intriguing elements but i would look at it from the perspective of who's on an expiring contract and who's gone who's not coming back i think the two names that really stick out the three names ezra cleveland KJ Osborne, Jordan Hicks. And I think Hicks, he's played fantastic football this year. I think a team like the Buffalo Bills just lost Matt Milano. Get a fourth rounder from Buffalo for Jordan Hicks. I think that's a little bit of an overpay, but they desperately need a quality linebacker. And I think that would be a situation where, hey, he goes into Buffalo. He plays in a system that he's already played in before. And I think it could work, but how they approach it is going to be fantastic and really interesting to watch. And quite frankly, it's like deadlines have never been really fun in football. It feels like this deadline is going to be fun watching for Minnesota. Like it is for like the Timberwolves and twins every year. Well, it might be a little rhetorical here, but what do the Vikings just have to do to beat the bears on Sunday? Is, is this just simply not turning the GD football over five times when you're in the red zone? I mean, what, what are you looking to see from the Vikings? I guess also just for them to get a big win at soldier field and maybe potentially still save their season. I think everything with the Vikings right now comes down to discipline. You have to play disciplined football. And that means not having penalties at the wrong times, not turning the football over a negative nine turnover differential is in my opinion, the entire reason why this team is one and four, like you can point to oh, they've struggled here. They struggled there. Well, the defense that they've been, you've turned the ball over 12 times. The defense is getting usurped every single time and they have to try and fix that mistake. It's incredibly hard, Declan, to fix a mistake like that. And that's why points off turnovers is such an intriguing element when you talk about how they're going to end up like winning these football games. If you have multiple points off turnovers every single game, like that's brutal. And that's really hard to overcome. That's why turnover differential. If you have a positive turnover differential, you're more likely winning the football game. Like some of those elements need to come into play and the Vikings need to have better discipline. They need to have better communication too, which comes into that discipline argument. The, the non spike from the chargers game, 
Like, if you are going to run a play right away, which in my opinion is the smart move, you should run a play right after that. But there's 34 seconds. You should have had a, a second play called in the huddle already. You right. get up to the line, you snap it with like 23 seconds to go. You're already ready to rock. The problem is they didn't do that. Is that on O'Connell? Is that on Cousins? I think it's a little bit of both. You should have already had that ready to go. And then all of a sudden the play's over. There's 15 seconds left. You've got three shots at the end zone because you have four opportunities to try and get it in there. That's those discipline things all matter. And they were situational masters last year. They kind of lost that this year. Why is that? Why all of a sudden are they making these mistakes? They didn't make last year when it was such a focus. Did they kind of tune that back and realize, Hey, we have a better team this year overall. And we believe we can take a big step with these young players. And they didn't focus enough on that situational stuff. I had, I'm honestly baffled to why the discipline has been so lacking. And you're right. That comes down to a lot of coaching. I mm-hmm. mean, Kevin O'Connell's had a bad year. Kevin O'Connell has had a bad year. Um, the lack of timeouts in the second half last weekend is largely or is on O'Connell and his and his game theory coach, who I thought had an outstanding 2022, and I don't know what the hell happened there. But, yes, I mean, we can blame Kirk for sure for some things. I, I would have preferred Kirk at the point in the Chargers game just stepped up to the line, spiked the ball, because then they complained about the crowd noise. Okay, you quiet the crowd by spiking the ball. Um, but all of that being said, yeah, there is no question that for all the things, Tyler, that went right for Kevin O'Connell a year ago, they have not. And look, you cannot turn over the football as much as this team has and not have it come back to coaching too. Like, like at some point in time, if it's one game or two games, it might be a fluke. If it's, if you're now five games in and you have this problem continually and you said, like Declan said, we've gone out and got bought all these gadgets to help mm-hmm. with this. Um, this, is, this is, I mean, there is a definite discussion to have about coaching, about game theory, about the clock. And I think that's been the thing that's been alarming because it was so well done a year ago. Uh, and, and O'Connell, for lack of a better term, this is a sophomore slump. He is having a coaching sophomore slump. He really is. And... I think you can remedy it. I think Sunday's game against the Chiefs was somewhat of an anomaly because it was almost like multiple things like coming together. But how is he going to learn from this? How is he going to grow and evolve? Because I think his success last season was somewhat of an anomaly, an outlier. Being that great right away and having so many of these things go your way helps. But it also helps mask some of the flaws because success like you don't talk about how much like something stinks when you're really playing well you you're really accentuating the positives and when things go bad you accentuate the negatives that's human nature i think Mm -hmm. the amount of struggles this year is just Mm -hmm. being amplified by the fact that nothing's going our way and i think he can write the ship will he that's another question uh and the learning thing You're, you're so right about that it, it, it is a big learning thing. And he's a second year head coach. He's what? 41 years old. Oh yeah. Like, he, like he's young. Here. He's figuring it out. And yep. being able to figure it out is a huge part of the learning curve of being a head coach. I think having a, a couple former head coaches on staff 
It's really beneficial. We know how Mike Zimmer, he brought on like six former head coaches on his staff because he wanted to have sounding boards. And then I think he got a little over his head and too big for his britches and then just started really taking over every single element instead of trusting his team. But O'Connell having those sounding boards, I think is good. And it really sounds from the tone of his talking to the media and how he and Quasi Dofomensa really approached this, that he's a big proponent of the collaboration element and given time he's 100 percent 100 you're right to be fired and i know some some in the fan base have asked for both these guys to be fired look give them time they won 13 games with a, a roster that was aging and they were the, those situational masters and you were never going to be able to duplicate that situational master stuff but this type of flipping the script and being really bad at it is just wild and i think that's an anomaly too Great stuff, sir. Uh, again, uh, T- Tyler is or joins Declan, um, Purple Daily on the Draft on Mondays, also VikingsWire.com, which I write for as well. He's my boss there. Ordinarily, I do a good job. Sometimes I screw up, but that's okay because he's forgiving. Declan, tell the folks what they need to know. Yeah, hit the subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment. This is Purple Daily. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl Amen. before we die.